Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast, Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf. Today, we continue our big question series, should the Knicks trade Julius Randle? Is R.J. Barrett for real? I can't really do a Stephen A., but that's what I was going for. And what are the Knicks going to do in the draft, given that the Mavericks kept their pick? All that and more right now on Locked On Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Starks without a five. Willing for the win. Yes! Tucks oh, left. Now fires it. He's good. And he's fouled. It's tough. Anthony for three. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. I want to thank you for making the Locked On Knicks podcast your first listen today and every day. These are now available on all platforms, and that includes on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. But remember to subscribe. Um, comment and hit that notifications bell so you never ever miss an episode on YouTube. And I don't say this enough. Please leave us a five star reviews on iTunes because it helps more people find the podcast and it makes us super happy. Even if you write that my face is funny, but who's talking to you? My name is Gavin Shaw, your favorite play by play broadcaster, favorite play by play broadcaster. He's Alex Wolf, editor in chief of the Strickland, the greatest Knicks website in the whole wide world. Alex, we are starting off in a somewhat familiar place. We've touched on it tangentially in other episodes, but we had to explore it in full in this segment and no doubt numerous times over the summer with guests in mailbags. But this is our introduction to the topic. Uh, should the Knicks trade their two-time All-NBA power forward who does not play well in the playoffs, certainly not when he has two sprained ankles, Julius Randle? Yeah, and that's like you just like underscored the whole thing, right? Like <laughs> it, we, we still don't quite know mm-hmm what to make out of Julius Randle in the playoffs because the one like glimpse that we got like in game five against the Cavs, like he really started playing well and then sprained his ankle again. And so it was like, he just finally seemed like he was finding his footing, like, because obviously he was coming back from a sprained ankle to begin the playoffs too. So it's like, was coming back for game one off a of sprained ankle, sprains it again in game five, raises finding his form, and then probably comes back too fast off of it. it. As someone who is, you know, I don't know if I've hammered this point home enough. I've I've very brittle ankles. Uh, I've sprained my ankles a lot in my life, and like I don't have a pro medical staff behind me, but like even with a good tape job and whatever, like the, you just you can't trust it until it's healed and it definitely didn't heal in like three days after he sprained it a second time all that is to say some people be like we'll stop making excuses for him or whatever like if he wasn't healthy he shouldn't have played but you know part of that comes to Tibbs who obviously we talked about in the last episode you know it's like if a player is healthy enough they're gonna say they're gonna play because mm-hmm. that's just how how professional athletes are um but this isn't a referendum on just Julius's ankle it's it's a whole thing and I don't think we should forget just how good he was this year. You know what I mean? Like he was the Knicks rock for this entire season up until he sprained his ankle in like game 77 or whatever game it was. Um, And he, he is like, he was, he was the all NBA player for as great as Jalen Brunson was this year. Like 
he was the guy that can, that produced so much offense, hit a number of clutch shots during the year, during the regular season, uh, helped produce offense for teammates, you know, really stretched the floor for the Knicks in many ways by, you know, we've talked about it a bunch, like the increased volume of three-point shots, even though he only shot around 35%, like that's huge, you know, being able to just put those shots up and draw the defense out, clear the way for Jalen Brunson or RJ Barrett to get inside or clear the way for Mitchell Robinson lob. Um, it, it's all important things that he did. So I, I think my answer as far as if they should trade him, I think they should only do that if, if they find the right deal. Um, and if they, you know, if it's to upgrade Julius Randle for, you know, a, a more complete player, uh, and one that you know has proven playoff success, uh, or if it's like to, I don't know, like get, like if if they were able to trade Julius Randle for like a top like five six pick or whatever in this year's draft, and say you know what, like we're gonna throw Obi Toppin in there to start. Maybe we take like a small step back this year, but this is gonna pay off in like two years because we think that this player that we draft is gonna be a lot better. Then maybe that's a scenario I would entertain it. Granted, again, you know, like you said, we're probably gonna discuss this a ton of times this offseason, but I think it's it's like a nuanced discussion. Like there's a lot of different angles to it. You know, it's he's a he's a fantastic player. There's no doubting that. But it's it's also fair to doubt if he's a guy that's gonna be able to take the Knicks to the next level. Now that you know you have a Jalen Brunson who can do that. Yeah, and and, and this was something we were talking about pre-show, but I don't think the discourse is anything like what we had last summer it's, it's very similar we, we had the discussion about tom thibodeau um yesterday and that was i think it's it's kind of the same thing where last summer you and i were both on the same page where it's like we have to get rid of these guys uh, both of them have to be gone and then for most of the year like we were we, we looked like we were dead wrong in that assessment for both of them and then come playoff time like again like it came in fits and spurts it was like oh my god julius is playing great oh no he sucks again he's not running back on defense and he's shrugging and everyone's pissed probably oh no tibbs didn't play grimes down the stretch of the fourth quarter and and, and you go through these ebbs and flows and, and to me the answer with both of them is very similar they're both floor raisers for sure you're better with both of them on your team um but is there a higher ceiling with someone else in both spots or, or at least is there a possibility of a higher ceiling um, with different guys in those two spots? I would say absolutely. The question is, are you able to find those guys? And we can't be sure of that. I, I think at power forward, like I would like to be able to trust this Knicks front office because they've nailed trades. They've nailed the drafts. I think they've shown that their player evaluation is fantastic. So to me, it's more so about availability and as we always talk about in this podcast, Alex, they're never really ones to undersell their own guys. So if they do go ahead and trade Julius, like I have every bit of confidence that it's going to be for the right deal. I think there is a world where you trade him for a player that's worse in a vacuum, but makes the Knicks better because it's someone who's an elite defender and an elite three-point shooter, who that actually is, again, full offseason to go over that. Might be a rookie, might be an established player in this league. Um, I don't think... The Knicks are necessarily better with Obi Toppin. I hear the argument that there is a cascading effect to having him in and you're going to move the ball more and he's not going to pout and he's going to give full effort on defense even when he messes up. Um, but I, I'm still not totally confident, Alex, that Obi is like the elite shooter at that spot that I think the Knicks might need at that spot to really ascend as an offense. 
Yeah, I'm with you. And and there's also something to be said for like we just talked about it in the Tibbs episode. A lot of a lot of these two are just intrinsically linked, but you yeah. know, Tibbs and Julius, like they just go hand in hand because they're the two guys that are like have brought the Knicks this far, and yet you look at and say, are they the guys that could bring the Knicks a step further? Mm-hmm. Um, but we talked about it with in that in that episode that Tibbs kind of screwed the Knicks by taking both Brunson and Randall out for that one stretch in game six against the heat. And that involves Randall because like Randall, just no matter what, like if you, if you swap out Randall for Obi Toppin and look, honestly, I, I'd be open to the idea. You know, if you can get a great return for Julius Randall, where Mm -hmm. you get like, let's say that it was again, like, like we've talked a little bit and maybe we'll talk a bit again in a minute about like a guy like a Taylor Hendricks or something like that, who like, Looks like he might be like a great like hybrid, you know, four type like big wing four whatever maybe small ball five type player that can play good defense and knock down the three and has some pop like sort of an actualized Obi Toppin with like actual like rim protection. Yeah, like if you can use Obi as essentially a stopgap to let that guy get his footing and trade Julius Randle for that guy plus like other picks in the future to potentially open up the the door for you to still have enough picks and contracts and young players and everything else to make another superstar deal, then maybe it's worth looking into. But I, I think those are the sort of deals I would look for for Randle more so than like, like I certainly wouldn't be like, let me trade Julius Randle for Carl Anthony Towns. Again, another thing we just talked about yesterday, but like that's at best – in my opinion, at least, that's at best a lateral move and possibly a downgrade, all for the sake of change. And I, I certainly would not move Julius Randle for that because we talk about all the time too. We'd be hypocrites if we suddenly now we're like, let's just play NBA 2K all day. Yeah. You know, and like consistency matters. And we talked about that for years and we're seeing it pay off for the Knicks. And they have yeah. a consistent roster now that's been together for a while. I, and I do think the the one counter argument in, in terms of moving off him, but and, and not just a counter argument to Cat, not a counter argument to making the kind of deal that you suggested and just getting a floor spacer in that spot is you're opening up those shots for RJ Barrett, who we're going to talk about in just a sec, like looking like he could be that guy increasingly. Quinn Grimes, I mean, we're begging for him to get up more threes and, and to have more opportunities on the ball. Emmanuel quickly, like I, I don't think either of us would have any issue with him playing an even larger role in the offense. But those shots don't come out of thin air, right? There are finite possessions, particularly for a team that is relatively slow paced. So those shots have to come from someone. And Julius Randle is the most obvious candidate. Um, And I guess my concern there would be, and we can get into this in just a sec with RJ, like can other guys on the Knicks either find more efficient shots when they have to create a good chunk of them themselves um, or can they hit inefficient shots at the same rate that Julius Randle does? Because where Julius unfairly takes some crap is like he's not super duper efficient on paper, but you got to take into account like he is generally when Jalen Brunson's not around or, or doesn't have the ball, like he's the guy who gets stuck with the garbage shots for the Knicks, like end of shot clock, fade away, um, like self-created threes, drawing a triple team, and like maybe sometimes committing a turnover, but two other times finding an open guy in a corner. So like can the Knicks... Can the other Knicks, like, are they ready to start generating their own shots? I think a case for keeping Julius is, like, maybe RJ's still another year away from that. Maybe Grimes is still another year away from that. Um, but at some point, you got to take off the training wheels. And even if it looks bad, you got to test those guys out if you think down the road they could be more efficient than Julius Randle. And if you already know that Julius is never going to be that dude. Um, again, like, I feel bad only discussing this topic in 10 minutes because 
it like there, there's so many places to dive deeper and we will over the course of the offseason. Um, but for now, Alex, we got to talk about RJ Barrett and if he is ready to step up in that bigger role. So we'll get to that right now on Locked on Knicks. Uh, but first, um, can you tell us a little bit about eBay Motors? I can. And for a championship team, which, of course, the Knicks hope to become, it's all about making sure every player is a perfect fit, like perhaps Julius Randle. <laughs> it's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. So the next time you need parts and accessories, head to eBay Motors. With eBay Guaranteed Fit, you can be sure every part you need fits right the first time around. Just add your ride to my garage and look for the green check to know the part will fit or your money back. Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game when you shop on eBay Motors. I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again because I'll, I'm I'm an eBay Motors customer for life after this. I uh, I had one of my hubcaps on my brand new Toyota Prius that I got in November just fly off when I was driving to work one day. And I went to the dealership and I was like, that's covered under warranty, right? And they're like, nope, it's going to be like 120 bucks for that hubcap. And I was like, no. So I went to eBay Motors and instead of getting new hubcaps, I got these little these little like emblems that go in the middle of the nice aluminum wheels underneath. And my car looks cooler now. And it only cost me 60 bucks for all four wheels. Pretty sick. After all, it's easy to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed. Get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices on ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. eBay guaranteed fit only available to U.S. customers. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, and we're back, Gavin, to move from one polarizing Nick to another polarizing Nick. Uh, go figure that we put these two in the same show. Again, much more discussions will be had. Like, we're going to probably do some player reviews where we do full episodes dedicated dedicated to these guys. But of course, this is just overarching big questions. We're just kind of trying to set the table for the off season here. But a big question here, Gavin is what we saw from RJ Barrett for real. Uh, I think we saw a bit of a Renaissance in the playoffs. Like it, he quite frankly had sort of a disappointing regular season. You know, I don't know if there's any other way to put it is defensive prowess was not there. Uh, which we saw kind of come back during the postseason. And, you know, that was something that he just a year ago, even like uh, before last season was touting as something that he really wanted to be known for was being a defensive stopper. Uh, and yet we didn't see much of that during the regular season. The efficiency just was not there as well. Uh, he wasn't able to like reclaim some of that, that good three point shooting that he had displayed at different points of his career. Uh, he ends up shooting 31% from three for the year on 5.3 attempts per game, which is just not fantastic. Uh, shoots 43% overall, which also is not a great number. Uh, you know, it's certainly like if we just talked about Julius Randle potentially being harped on for efficiency at 46% from the field, 34% from three, 43% from the field and 31% from three doesn't really cut it for RJ. Uh, also shot 74% the line, which I think was a, a bit of an improvement for him. So that's a plus and did get there 5.4 times per game and averaged almost 20 points per game again, 19.6, a very slight downgrade from the year prior. So, you know, I don't know that it was a bad year for RJ, but it was a, it was a tough year during the regular season and yet Gavin, then we saw this huge resurgence during the playoffs for him that maybe gave us some hope and, once again is given this sort of look at what RJ could be. Yeah. I think the, the greatest sign for me was that the seeds of what he did in the playoffs were planted towards the end of the season. And we were both noting like as the final 10, 15 games are going on, like, Hey, he's still not really making shots for the most part, but 
he's starting to actually uh, pass when he when he's doubled when he drives and when when someone when Obi Toppin's doing his um like uh, I just I just crap my pants I, I need to run away dance um, when he's open under the basket and jumping up and down over and over again um, which RJ I think leads the NBA in inducing those moments in his teammates or at least did um, but then all of a sudden just started to like make the right decision over and over and over again if there's one thing we've never questioned with RJ Barrett it's his ability to draw a crowd going downhill and once that happened you saw that combine with far better shot making in the playoffs all of a sudden those, those four or five foot push shots that always seemed to be either five inches short or five inches too long like they were going in time after time all those threes like he had a few bad games in the playoffs that sullied it but by and large, like I'm, I'm going back to like game two against Miami, five for nine for three. Game four against Miami, three for five from three. Uh, game three against Cleveland, three for six. Like th- those were some big performances and big moments where teams dared him to hit shots and whatever he did with Drew Hanlon like really worked. Of course, the last game from him was by and large terrible, went just one for 10, but had that nine for 10 performance on the free throw line. And, and that was what we saw consistently, his ability to attack, his ability to finish, and his ability to find a way to impact the game while not being a total liability defensively. Like I just saw a lot of things process wise that I think will translate well. But of course, Alex, we've seen similar flashes from RJ in the past. I don't think exactly the same because I don't think we ever saw this level of passing, but we've seen similar flashes, certainly in terms of his scoring. And then they've gotten away. And last year at points, it got really, really bad. So can we believe it this time or, or, or can we not? Yeah, that's kind of the the million dollar or the, in this case, almost $30 million question at this point now because yeah. RJ's extension kicks in next year. Like, it, you kind of, you, you got to, I'll use a phrase you, uh, you used in the first segment, you got to take the training wheels off at a certain point and say, you know, hey, like this guy is now officially a vet. You know, like I feel like once you get into that second contract, like there are expectations that come with that. And you're you're no longer like cost controlled anymore. You're no longer found money. You know you're now officially an uh, an NBA player on an NBA contract, making the money that the league or your team has deemed that you're worth at this point. And the reality is, is he's going to be making more, if I'm not mistaken, than Julius Randle or Jalen Brunson next year. He's going to be the highest paid player on the Knicks next year, pending any sort of other trades or anything, like. He's got to, at a certain point, find that consistency. And I, if there's one thing that I think that he can hang his hat on and that we can exhale about and feel good about, it's that even though the shooting has been off, like every player goes through shooting slumps. They just, you know, you have to hope with RJ that they finally stop being like 30 game long shooting slumps, you know, like four or five games here and there. Of course, you're going to have a bad week or a bad two weeks and you just can't see it go through. But he needs to be able to drag himself out of those. But the bright side is, is that we saw during the playoffs, he still didn't shoot that well from three and yet was able to generate offense by getting inside, by drawing free throws. He had, I mean, literally in the last game of the Knicks season had eight free throws in the first quarter uh, against, you know, a team with Jimmy Butler that was, you know, like really defending the Knicks well and everything else. Like he's, he's got that ability now. Uh, to get inside, to control his body, to draw the contact and fight through it, but also sell contact a little better. Like, I think that's something that he struggled with for 
the first couple of years of his career is learning how to sell contact to get those free throws, which unfortunately is an NBA skill. Now mm. you can't just power through. You have to like, let them know you got fouled. <laughs> and he's been doing that while also not being as wild as he was at other points in his career too, where he was kind of just winging the ball in the air to sell that contact. He's able to sell the contact and still attempt to finish through it. He's also gotten more clever with just the veteran savvy sort of plays like the rip throughs and the, you know, things of that nature too. So I, I feel hopeful for him going forward, but again, it's, you know, it's going to take him coming out next season and not starting in the, at the bottom of a well that he needs to climb out of for the first 40 games again. Cause that's kind of been the story of almost every year of his career to this point. And it's time to put the big boy pants on next year. So we'll have plenty more to talk about throughout the off season, as far as RJ is concerned, but I, uh, I, I, it basically consistency. If I had to boil it down to one word, that's what we need to start seeing out of him. Yeah. So let me let me let me end this with uh, with some pessimism, and then I'll and then I'll, I'll throw in one note of optimism. The the pessimism is that he wasn't that much more efficient than the regular season, the playoffs. His effective field goal percentage went at one percent. He was actually four percent worse finishing at the rim, which is stunning to me because in like maybe I just have that Cavs series stuck in my head, but it felt like he was so good in that respect. Um, slight shot better from short mid range. So that compensated a bit shot way better from long mid range, but only took like two or three, the whole playoffs. So, and, and then shot 2% better from three. So the efficiency wasn't that much better, but here's the good news. Most players efficiency goes way down during the playoffs. It happened to Jalen Brunson. It certainly happened to Julius Randall in a really dramatic way. And I, I mentioned it earlier, but I don't want to take it for granted. Alex, like maybe the thing that scared me more than anything else was just like how unathletic he looked defensively at points this year. We would see him like on a closeout and you'd think he was like Udonis Haslam after 10 beers. Like, like he was just a 40 year old guy, like way past his prime put out to pasture. Like it, it just did not look like the athleticism you'd expect from, from a number three pick who was the number one recruit in the country. And not that he was like flying around, like blowing stuff up defensively, but he was assignment sound. He was solid and he made like one or two just really smart plays. And um, it, it's kind of the same thing. Like we always used to say, I think with Mitchell Robinson, we were like, oh, he's only 18, still only 22. He's, he's going to be 23 at the start of next season. Super young, a lot of time, a lot of room for growth. Um, but if the Knicks want to continue growing their future, maybe they're going to need a draft pick this year. We will talk about that in just a sec on Locked on Knicks. All right. Third and final segment. Let's get into it, Alex. The New York Knicks, unfortunately, I was crossing every part of my body while I was going down, but they did not uh, get the luck of the draw. They did not um, apparently appease the basketball gods enough because they gave those Satanists, the Mavericks, the uh, 10th pick in the draft. Um, so the Knicks, as of now, don't have a first-round pick. Should they try to get back into, and I think like you and I, like we just did our, our locked on mock draft, which we'll, we'll give out the details of in uh, the next couple of weeks. Um, we made some moves, um, but we were just kind of debating this. And, and my feeling is like, you need to feel really, really, really good about someone. If you're the Knicks to trade into this draft, because right now pending a star trade or consolidation trade, Alex, there's just not an open spot in the next rotation, right? Like we, we saw Evan Fournier making what, however much a year, like 18, $20 million a year, like not able to play because this team got better when they cut their rotation down to nine guys. And, and in the playoffs, like at points, like kind of cut that down more. Like there were games where Obi didn't really play. Um, obviously Deuce was largely out of the rotation. Uh, Josh Hart at points even had his minutes severely limited. 
And like, there's this double-edged sword of like, it's clear that this team needs a little bit more shooting, but can you get that while still keeping playmaking, while still keeping defense, while still keeping size? Um, And can you find that guy as a rookie for a team who wants to win right away? That's a lot of asks. What's your take on all of it? Yeah, I think, I think they need to be measured. I, I guess that's going to be one of our themes this offseason, I feel like. Mm. You know, this is not the offseason, like, to try to make giant splashy moves necessarily, unless you feel it's one that's going to significantly make the team better. Um, so like, I think that if they get the opportunity to draft someone that they feel is going to be a really good shooter, which I do think there are some of them in this upcoming draft, like I think I've already started making my, and you know, we'll still do a little bit of draft content, even if we don't do as much as in years past, but like, I think I've made it pretty well known already. Like I love a few guys that are really good shooters in this draft. There's um, there's like uh, Jordan Hawkins out of UConn. Uh, there's uh, Taylor Hendricks out of uh, UCF and Grady Dick out of Kansas. Like there is legitimate shooting, which I think would be fantastic for the, the Knicks if they were able to get it. Uh, the question is, what is it going to cost? And are they going to be able to get into that pick to make that happen? And that's where it's like, would the cost become too high? That said, I'm curious for your take on this, Gavin. Where do you stand on like Deuce McBride and Obi Toppin? I think are the two guys in particular that stand out to me. Yeah. Deuce, because of being a second round pick, can become a free agent or most likely will become a free agent after. Well, okay. Can become a free agent after the end of this season if the Knicks want him to be a restricted free agent. But otherwise, they can do sort of like the Jalen Brunson thing, a Mitchell Robinson thing, I think, and pick up a fourth year on him, if I'm not mistaken, but then he would become an unrestricted free agent the next mm-hmm. year. Uh, and then Obi obviously is, is going to be in the final year of his rookie deal this year. We'll see what happens as far as if they feel confident enough to give him an extension or not. But how do you feel about potentially like using those guys to get into this draft to then more or less like kick the can down the road and be like, look, maybe these guys won't get a ton of PT either, but at least they'll be locked in under team control for longer. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I hear you. Um, And I, I think, Deuce is is very contingent on how they're feeling, not even how they're feeling about Emmanuel quickly, but just can they get on the same page with Emmanuel quickly? Because I I, I think quickly and and his camp and his agent they are gonna rightfully say like, hey, we want twenty plus million dollars. Like the salary cap's about to skyrocket, and our guy like played like an all star when he was a starter this year. And the Knicks are rightfully gonna say like, all right, but for us, he's not a starter, and he really struggled in the playoffs. So we're going to try to give him more like, I don't know, maybe like 18, 19, just $20 million a year. And I could see a world Alex where they're still at an impasse. And if they're at an impasse, I think if you're the New York Knicks, I mean, depending on if you think you can find a point guard in the draft, but this, that's not really the strength of this draft. And it's a position that doesn't have a ton of strength uh, or a ton of depth, excuse me, in this draft. Um, I kind of think you want to hold on to Deuce McBride because I think if his shot develops, like he is kind of the picture perfect backup to Jalen Brunson in that he is a change of pace. And of course he is not in the same universe as Emmanuel quickly as a player, but if you're going to use quickly again as bait for a star or, or just in a trade to get a wing of similar ability, which I'm not saying I'm rooting for love Emmanuel quickly here. Um, then you got to think about holding on to deuce and Obi Toppin. It, it's very similar, but I am, I am with you that again, you're not going to directly turn him into someone like Taylor Hendricks because Obi stock just isn't that high but I am totally down to go for someone with a higher ceiling there just because of the OB at this point, like what well, he's going to be 26, I think at the start of next season, not that he still can't get better. And I think he will 
frankly, like he will look a lot better in a different ecosystem where he's given like a guaranteed 25 to 35 minutes a night. But we know what it is with him and Julius Randle, right? As long as Julius is here, like, this, like I, I feel like a robot saying this over and over again for four years, but like, it's not going to change. He's not all of a sudden going to start playing 20 minutes a game. Tibbs isn't all of a sudden going to start going small. Like that situation is what it is. Yeah. And if you're able to use OB plus even maybe like one of the future protected picks that the Knicks have or something to move up to, let's say like, I mean, the Pacers have for whatever reason been long linked to OB as a, as a potential destination. Mm -hmm. Apparently they really like him. So if it's like, okay, we'll give you like, you know, Washington's protected first round pick and Obi Toppin for pick seven or something. And they're amenable to that. Like, I think you'd be foolish not to do that. If you can mm -hmm. get like a Taylor Hendricks, because if you can get a player that like a Hendricks that, and God, I'm going to beat Taylor Hendricks, the point into the ground. Like, I just feel like he's so perfect for what the Knicks could do. Mm -hmm. It might be like a Tibbs busting type player, but like, if they can get him and have a guy that is a nominal four that can shoot like crazy, but also has some rim protection to his game, like that might finally be the person that unlocks Tibbs being able to say like, you know what, let's play Julius Randle and Taylor Hendricks for a couple minutes. Cause I know that he can defend the rim. Uh, and you know, that's like Tibbs number one skill that he needs out of the guy that's his nominal five. So, you know, it would be a lot. It would be a big ask as a rookie to expect him to do that consistently, but it's something that I feel like we would maybe get to see a look or two of uh, in his first year. But you could also just throw him out there with like Isaiah Hardenstein and probably have a real good time with yeah. the two of those guys defending the rim and and you know Hendricks being able to actually shoot. So yeah, it's I you know I love Obi Toppin and I really wish that the Knicks had. I wish that there was just like an extra 20 minutes <laughs> of every NBA game that he could play, play. 60 minute games. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just play 60 minute games so that he can get an extra couple minutes, you know? Um, but there isn't. And, you know, as long as Randall's on the team, which presumably he will be, you're now just reaching this situation where it's like, uh, you know, I just talked about RJ Barrett's going to be making his big boy money. Like, Obi, do you really want to hand Obi Toppin like his big boy NBA contract? And then like, just have him back up Julius Randle for 15 minutes a night. You know, it's just, it's not, it's not a good use of, of resources, you know, from a cap space scenario and, and just a player value scenario to then. It's, it's not even fair to Obi. Like, like, yeah. he, I want to see him thrive somewhere. Like it's, it's yeah. kind of like, Oh, we got to old yeller him. Like we got, we got to let him go. <laughs> yeah. You just got to let him go. You know, Is that I, I, I don't know how that book ends. So if it's bad, I don't, don't tell me. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, I won't. I won't mention it. But oh, great. Thanks. yeah. <laughs> anyway, I think the I think the the theme of this episode is being measured and mm. not acting rashly, but being prepared to make moves if you feel like it's it's good for this team in the near term and the long term. Mm. Uh, we have more to talk about, particularly about the one of those guys we were just talking about in our next episode, uh, plus some others. We're going to talk about. In our, in our next and last of the big questions series, before we start getting into the more detailed stuff here, uh, we're going to talk about Emmanuel quickly. What do you pay him? Or do you let him hit restricted free agency? Same thing for Obi. Or do you look to trade him? So maybe we'll expand a little bit on some of these thoughts we just had about Obi as it pertains to the draft and what to do with one Rokas Jokobitis, who is a two-time rising star of the year 
in the Euro League, and uh, the only player to ever do that was Luka Doncic. So, or maybe the or maybe Ricky Rubio did too. But either way, Euro League royalty is are mm. the only players that have ever done that. So, something to consider. Uh, who's who the Knicks own the draft rights to, and who looks like he could be potentially ready to make the jump to the NBA. So, we'll be talking about all that in our next episode of Locked On Knicks. But for now. Thank you all for listening, and we'll talk to you all soon. Peace out, everybody.